Well, good morning, church. Uh, I know you, you, you hang with me and I'll explain it, but I just want to say happy Halloween. And I know that's weird to hear in a church, but I'm going to tell you why that's not weird to hear in a church. I will let you know that Joe was trying to look like Martin Luther, the great reformer. <laughs> we, uh, we were talking a little bit about uh, costumes that, uh, that go awry. I remember when I was about eight or nine years old, uh, my parents said, what do you want to be for Halloween? And I said, I want to be a robot. And so they, in my little town, we had a, a Halloween parade every year with, you know, different uh, 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 awards and prizes. And uh, the top prize, first place, was a $50 savings bond. You remember those days, right? And I remember Dad said, okay, you want to be a robot. So we worked for weeks putting together a cardboard box, painting it silver, putting lights and and what we thought were lights and bells and whistles on there and little antennas and little things that stick, stuck up on either side. And, and I put that costume on and I was so proud that I looked like a robot. And so we were in the parade and at the end of the parade, we get, went before the judges stand and they had the, 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 uh, the section for however old I was, eight, nine, ten years old. And they said, in the winner, first place, a $50 savings bond goes to Ike Nicholson, dressed as a stove. <laughs> I said, I'm not a, and my dad said, shut up, it's $50. <laughs> so at least it wasn't that bad, Pastor Joe. <laughs> so to, to uh, uh, next week, uh, we start... Uh, our new series, Live Generously, Here, Near, and Far. <clears throat> it's actually our stewardship campaign series, and uh, I would encourage you to bring visitors, because especially friends of yours who say the church only talks about money, be sure to bring them the next three weeks, because we are going to talk about money, but we're going to talk about some other things as well. We're going to talk about how our lives can be lived to impact the world for the sake of the gospel. And uh, you'll be receiving a letter with a little estimate, a little, little Live Generously card uh, that invites you to consider making several things a part of this coming year's discipline. Uh, between the services for the next three weeks, not, not today, but beginning next week, for the next three weeks, we're going to be having, uh, continuing our, our faith talks like Pastor Joe and Cindy uh, had started, uh, uh, talking with some of the constituency mission agencies that we work closely with. Uh, next week, we're going to meet Maureen who is uh, the director of North Littleton Promise, which, which works with immigrants and refugees uh, here, right here in our backyard. After that, Woodson McGeeley will be the following uh, week, which is uh, the mission partner that we have in what is, uh, you probably know as Swaziland, uh, very in the south part of Africa. And then the final week, we're gonna be meeting between services uh, with Love Inc. and the Love in the Name of Christ, uh, wonderful work they do helping to be sort of a uh, a clearinghouse and a, uh, a referral ministry that people come in, they don't just uh, take care of them for that moment, but what they try to work with them and get them toward a life of self-sustainability. So these are just a few of the ministries that our congregation works closely with. This congregation uh, has a long and strong history of outreach and being connected with our community, and I encourage you to Come and be a part of these uh, talks between the services starting next week. Today <clears throat> is Halloween. Uh, pick up a study guide. There's a little bit of history, uh, and there's going to be a little bit of history in the, in the uh, uh, message today. Unfortunately, we live in a world that has amnesia. 
Uh, we forget where we come from, who we are, our forebears and the work and effort that they did. Uh, and so there's a little bit of specific information to help introduce you. Halloween actually is a Christian holiday. I know that terrifies people. They're like, what? Now, it was originally celebrated in May, and it was initially to celebrate uh, just after Christianity had been mainstreamed and was pretty much legal and the whole world was becoming Christians. Uh, Christianity was made legal in about 380 A.D. and 609. Uh, Halloween, or All Saints Day and All Souls Day, were, were instituted as a time for the church to remember those great heroes who were martyred for their faith. And then in about the 7th century, it was moved to November, and predominantly because as missionaries were going into Europe and the British Isles, they noticed that the uh, pagans were celebrating a holiday called Swan, which commemorated their ancient dead ancestors. So the Christians said, what better way to help redirect their already established cultural celebration to the great heroes of the faith than move All Saints Day and Halloween, which is Old English for All Hallows' Eve, to October. It wasn't really until the 20th century that a bunch of moron Satanists tried to take the, ho the holiday from us. And uh, I'm always intrigued that uh, they used the upside-down cross as their symbol. Bunch of idiots. Uh, the upside-down cross is St. Peter's cross because he was crucified on an upside-down cross. So I love the opportunity to meet with Satanists. So if you have any friends or family... Make an appointment, so um, I'd love to talk with them. Today is also Reformation Day, because, uh, and the study guide talks more about that, because on this day, Martin Luther launched the movement which literally changed the world, the Protestant Reformation, of which our congregation inherits that great tradition. And his favorite psalm, the, his most beloved psalm, was Psalm 46. And so I want to look at Martin Luther's most beloved psalm, as uh, we go into worship today. Psalm 46, if you have your Bibles or your phone or tablet or however you read God's Word, it's not that long. Uh, you know, when I was a young, young, when I was a kid, I struggled through any scripture, mainly because my parents liked the King James Version. But uh, even as a young adult, sometimes the Psalms were hard for me. And it's only as I've gotten older and uh, gone through things that life throws at you that the psalms have begun to speak to me more so i pray that even even if you're like man I'm, I'm not a pastor i'm not a psalms guy that's okay neither was i just but but in this moment open your heart open your mind and let's uh welcome the holy spirit of god who speaks to us through god's word psalm 46 god is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. 
He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Here ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. May he add his blessing and understanding to it. Amen. Well, as I said, today is All Hallows' Eve. That's the old English for Halloween, which is, interestingly, as I've said, a Christian holiday. Sought to replace the pagan celebrations when Christian missionaries arrived in the British Isles predominantly. We Christians do that a lot. We had the celebration of Christmas, the birth of Christ, which in the ancient time of the church was observed in January. But as we moved into Europe and found out that many Christians were celebrating uh, the winter solstice, we moved Christmas, the celebration of Christ, to be around the winter solstice so that we could redirect people's attention away from their pagan ideas to the ideas of Christ. Same thing happened with Easter. Originally kept close to Passover, it, it eventually moved to coincide with the spring equinox and replaced the celebration of the fertility goddess Esther, which incidentally is where we get the name Easter. Easter is a derivation of the word Esther, which is the reason you will rarely hear me say Easter. I will always say Resurrection Sunday. Well, Halloween is the Old English term for All Hallows' Eve, or the Eve before All Hallows' Day, or All Saints' Day. And in the first 400 years of the church, most folks will be surprised by this, Christians did not celebrate birthdays. That's what the pagan Romans did. The Romans celebrated birthdays, so what did Christians do? We celebrated the day a believer died. We celebrated their death day. Because we believed and proclaimed that in our physical death do we enter into eternal life. No wonder the Romans thought we Christians were a bunch of nut jobs. Well, All Saints Day was the day Christians remember the death of all believers, especially those who had lived exemplary lives and died as martyrs. But contemporary culture has taken All Hallows' Eve, Halloween, and made it a day of fear. That's not necessarily weird either. Martin Luther, the great reformer, believed that the best way to fight the devil was to make fun of him. Well, and, and, and I want to share with you some of the quotes that Martin Luther said, but you would be offended by them. He was pretty blunt when he talked about the devil especially. He believed that making fun of the devil was the best way to cause the devil to flee. And although today most of us, especially our children, will revel in the scariness of cobwebs, mummies, zombies, and jack-o'-lanterns, some of us even know that scary movies can be fun. Scientists tell us that one of the body's responses to fear is to release dopamine in our brains, which as many of you know is that pleasure chemical in our brain. So it's kind of odd that God has made our bodies in such a way that when we're afraid, God allows our body to release something that helps us maintain our sensibility in that moment of fear. Yet we also know that if we are uh, 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 um, in the midst of fear too much, anxiety begins to take over in our life. Physically, emotionally, socially, relationally, our bodies and our lives can begin to fall apart. God is our refuge and strength, the psalmist says. 
A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Say that last phrase with me. We will not fear. We will not fear. First point. Threats and fear are universal. Today's Reformation Sunday. On this day, 504 years ago, an Augustinian monk, professor, and pastor living in Germany posted on the door of the university chapel 95 theses that he wanted to debate with the religious faculty of the university. And that act launched a movement known as the Protestant Reformation and quite literally changed the world. Some of the specific changes are in your study guide. Now, there are certain years that are particularly momentous in the life of the, the church, the historical church. For example, in 311 A.D., almost uh, three centuries of persecution came to an end for Christians. For 300 years, we were put to death in the most horrific ways because we were followers of Jesus Christ. In the year 325, the Emperor Constantine called together a meeting of the 1,800 bishops that were still alive in the Church of Jesus Christ to deal with some inconsistencies and disputes that Christians were going through and were upsetting the empire. And so the Council of Nicaea, where we get the Nicene Creed, was called. And of the 1,800 bishops who were eligible to come, only 300 of them came. That's about 17% of those who were qualified to weigh in got a chance to weigh in. Just a little warning, next time we have congregational meeting, you've got to be there. <laughs> From that point, uh, the, an essentially unified church began to emerge that was governed by the main bishops of what was called the five sea cities, or major cities. Rome, Constantinople, Antioch, Jerusalem, and Alexandria. Those who didn't agree with the decisions of the Council of Nicaea had to flee the empire, and most of them went to Persia, present-day Iran, Arabia, Saudi Arabia, and parts of North Africa. The predominant heresy of that time was a heresy called Nestorianism. And Nestorianism was a view that Christ was only human. He had some divinity in him, but he was mainly human. It's not by accident that that is the predominant way that Islam understands Christ, and it's not by accident that those countries where Nestorianism fled were the same countries where Islam grew. And in 610, Islam is born in those same places and begins to push northward into the Middle East and by the late 900s is dividing the Christian empire, leading to a break between the Western Church and the Eastern Church, Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy in 1054. Over the next 500 years, there are crusades. The Orthodox Church suffers terribly under Islamic occupation. And in the West, mainly in Europe, the Roman Catholic Church grows mightily. Now, lots of good things happened. The Roman Church brought to us hospitals, orphanages, universities are born, advances in science. As much as the secular world likes to make fun of us, most of the advances in modern science were, were done by Roman Catholic priests who were also scientists. Medicine, law, philosophy... All of these things take place. But it isn't all good. Islamic armies are continuing their advance. They want to conquer the world. 
And in some places, there's a give and take. For example, Italy surrenders some of its cities to the Islamic armies, places like Venice. And in Spain, strongholds are developed, in Bulgaria, Russia, even parts of Poland. And what has happened in the time of Martin Luther is Islamic armies are literally surrounding all of Europe and threatening to invade places like France from the south and Germany from the east. The world was terrified of what was going on with the political and military situation. And meanwhile, the leaders, particularly the popes in Rome, even in the, present, even in the opinions of present-day Catholic historians, were more interested in a life of luxury than in the faith. And Europe is terrified. They've heard the stories of what happens to Christians who refuse to convert to Islam when the uh, Islamic armies invade. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Therefore, say it, therefore, we will not fear. Those Christians asked themselves, has God abandoned us? Where is God? The world's falling apart. Where is the God of Jacob? In an effort to raise money and control the remaining remnant of the expansive Christian empire that's only now in Europe, church leaders use the fear of the people for their own interests. And that day, salvation was the purvey of only the church. That is, as only the church decided if you were saved. Hmm. The church decided whether or not you would go to heaven. And a system of works that had, to do, that, that had you doing things for the church would decide your salvation. Not the poor, the sick, the orphan. The institution was the only thing that was important. And eventually you could pay for your forgiveness. Actually, you purchased the good merits of the saints that had lived such a good life. And so... Because of the excess of merits that long-dead saints had done, you could earn your salvation by purchasing them. Well, that money made its way back to Rome, was, was used to build one of the grandest houses of worship in the world, the Church of St. Peter and St. Paul, known as the St. Peter's Basilica or the Vatican. Now, over my ministry, I've taken groups uh, on trips to the Holy Land, to Scotland and Ireland, to look at Christian growth there, and to Rome. I was never so annoyed when I took my Protestant group into St. Peter's Basilica, and they said, wow, this is awesome. And I'm thinking to myself, y'all know how they got the money to build this thing? And so this young priest and monk and professor and pastor decides to call the church to accountability for selling these indulgences. And he chose the eve of All Saints Day to post his criticisms on the church door. You see, because they were selling the merits of the saints, that's why he chose that day. Now let's just for a moment think about the everyday common folks. The folks that are getting up and tending the sheep and growing the crops and repairing the shoes and fixing houses, all the things that you and I do. 
this is what they're living in. Fear of Islamic invasion. Fear of the black plague that is sweeping across Europe. Fear from the message of the church that was teaching them that they weren't good enough to get into heaven. In my years of reading and studying history, one of my discoveries has been that human societies never really change, do they? Because now let's think about ourselves. We have seen firsthand and are seeing firsthand the impact of militant Islam in places like Afghanistan. People fleeing for their lives and coming to live in our neighborhoods. We're all living through a pandemic Maybe not as bad as the Black Plague, but one that has definitely impacted our globe and has accelerated social change in work, politics, and church. You may not agree with it all, but it's happening. And we continue to grapple with the questions of meaning, brokenness, salvation itself. Here we are. War, disease, salvation. Same stuff, just different century. Always, always, always there are threats to our way of life, if not our actual lives. And the emotional response to the constant presence of threat is fear. And fear drives us to do incredibly destructive things. God is our refuge and strength very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Now back in 1517, when Luther and his buddies were thinking through all this stuff, names that we probably never heard of and couldn't pronounce if we did see them, they were thinking about the state of the church, looking around at the people, and I believe that in that moment God poured into them a spirit of courage to stand and call the people, if not the world, back to the truth of Scripture. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Romans 1, 17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, For faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Galatians 3.11 Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Hebrews 10.38 But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Martin Luther wrote over 120 volumes, commentaries, and hymns about this book biblical understanding of salvation by grace through faith and psalm 46 was one of his most favorite it's what he used to inspire the writing of one of his most favorite and famous hymns a mighty fortress is our god luther said often that his love for god was kindled by studying scripture you want to love god more luther would say you need to study the bible more as a monk he sang all 150 psalms every week 
When he became a professor, his first class that he taught as a young professor was on the book of Psalms. And his class was so popular that every student in the university wanted to come to it. Ticked off the other uh, uh, professors like nothing else. And he would often say, everyone who reads the Psalms, hear this, brothers and sisters, everyone who reads the Psalms can find words that fit every situation in their life. Therefore, his understanding of the Psalms were, were that they were not words to hear, he wrote, but words to live by. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. The world can be a scary place. The psalmist says, The earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swell. Pandemics happen. War happens. Shootings happen. Storms rage. Bankruptcies happen. We lose our job. We don't get the job we wanted. We get divorced. We hear our spouse say, I don't love you anymore. We experience the death of parents, God forbid, of our own children, our spouse, our friends. And too often when we find ourselves in those moments where the seas roar, we look for refuge everywhere else except where Scripture calls us to look. We seek safety in governments. We seek stability in economies and bank accounts. We lie to ourselves and say, I have a sense of control and security in my own life by my own works. May I suggest to you that when we trust ourselves, when we think we are our own gods, we often fail, and in failing, we hurt others in that process, either by falsely promising that we can fix their problems or by ignoring them because of our own pain. Our refuge, the psalmist says, is in God. Point three, winning the battles in life has nothing to do with us. For those of you who know Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, it's a beautiful hymn, but the language uses imagery that frankly isn't the imagery of the Psalms. I hope Luther's not too mad at me over there. Luther lived in a day of bulwarks and bunkers, of towers and thick walls. As a matter of fact, his own safety from church authorities who wanted to burn him at the stake was because of a tower wall where he lived in that tower for years. For some of you, maybe this building is a place of safety and refuge. I get that. And when you come here, there's a sense of peace. Maybe when you go home, there's a sense of peace in your own place of refuge. But what's the psalmist say? The psalmist says, come, behold the works of the Lord, how he 
has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. What am I supposed to do? Don't I get to do something here? Well, brothers and sisters, you can't save yourself, so why on earth would you think you can fix your own life? You can't fix your life. The psalmist tells us what we're supposed to do. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And here, brothers and sisters, is where courage is born. Be still and know that I am God. Here is where marriages are saved. Be still and know that I am God. Here is where anxiety is defeated. Be still and know that I am God. But what does that mean? I'm almost done. That word, be still, literally means, in the original language, Stop fighting. You fighting with God today? It can be translated, stop striving. One of my best friends from high school is, is, is a captain for a lifeguard uh, team in Florida. And he says the most dangerous thing that his, his lifeguards do is when they go out and try to save somebody who can't swim and is drowning. Why? Because when you can't swim and you're drowning, you just beat on everything, including the guy trying to save you. How can it be translated? Be still. Relax. Here's another way of translating be still. It's this idea here. You're like this. Be still. It literally means drop your fists. Who's fool enough to drop their fists in the middle of a fight? Drop your fists. Release your hands. How's another way? Maybe a modern, modern way. Holster your weapon. Put your weapon back where it needs to be. Be still. Another way you can translate it, surrender. And that's the one I like best of all. Because, let me tell you something about Christianity. If it don't make no sense whatsoever, it's probably true. The last shall be first. The weak are really strong. The meek inherit the earth. Those who surrender win. Where are you today? I hope you're planning to come to this Resist the Drift conference. I think you'll hear God's word there. You can't fix your marriage. Jesus fixes it. You can't fix your children. And trust me, I'm starting to get really terrified about that. Jesus does that. And you can't fix your life. Only Jesus can do that. Therefore, we will not fear. Be still.